I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Marcel here. Before today's episode, I want to tell you about a new show that we are loving at Witch Please Productions, the Culture Study Podcast with Anne Helen Peterson. If you don't already know it, I'm convinced that you're about to fall in love with a new podcast. And this is coming from me, Marcel, someone who famously doesn't really listen to podcasts. Culture Study is a podcast about exploring the nooks and crannies of the culture that surrounds us. Each week, Anne and a super smart co-host will answer listeners' questions about the stuff they find interesting and perplexing, like, why do clothes suck now? And... Is Paw Patrol copaganda, or is it not that deep? And, like, what's the deal with everyone I know getting a divorce? Just like Anne's tremendously popular newsletter of the same name, Culture Study Podcast is funny, insightful, and kind of weird. And it's guaranteed to help you become the most interesting person at parties. Listen to the Culture Study Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your shows. Who knows? Maybe you'll recognize some guests in the coming months. Hello and welcome to another very special bonus Q&A episode of Material Girls, the uh, the episode type that we have decided to name Material Concerns, because we think it's funny. I'm Hannah McGregor. <laughs> and I'm Marcel Cosman, and we are here to answer your hard-hitting questions about... We're here to answer your material concerns. We're here to address your material concerns about... <laughs> About Willy Wonka, the movie Wonka, Roald Dahl, Twilight, vampire culture, Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, YA novel stuff, and maybe other questions. Totally unrelated. Yeah. I think we got some like really fun, um, not about Wonka or Twilight questions. And I think we might save those for the second half. The paywalled half. Ooh, please give us money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, Marcel, you want to choose our first question? I do. I want to start with a question from Becky from Wellington. Becky says, I know it's not Wonka, but I can't stop thinking about the fat phobic imagery in the Matilda movie, Big Chocolate Cake, Masculine Woman, Evil Teacher versus Femme Nice Teacher. Oh, sorry. Masculine Woman, Evil Teacher versus Femme Nice Teacher. Um, The story recently became a live onstage production. Why this story? Why now? Mm. Mm. It is so, let's say, interesting to me 
let's say, interesting as a placeholder for all of the actual complexities of reactions that I have to this. Mm -hmm. Um, The way that as uh, these new productions are attempting to, I think, redeem Dahl's stories for a 21st century audience, Mm -hmm. I think it is really revealing what they do, like what they, they consider to be problematic enough that it needs to be addressed Mm -hmm. and what doesn't need to be addressed and like how they go about addressing the things that they want to address etc so for example in the film adaptation of the matilda musical um miss honey is black and so there's like a attempt to address the overwhelming whiteness of doll to cast the movie in such a way that it like even vaguely looks like the world Mm -hmm. there's some some moments that feel strange as a result because like so many stories that were written by a white person imagining a world only of white people when you try to just shoehorn blackness into it it fits uneasily so for example in the musical matilda it's such a, they've added this really weird storyline about Miss Honey's parents being an acrobat and an escape artist who were in a circus. And Matilda is making up a story about an acrobat, an acrobat and a escapologist. And it turns out that the story that she's been making up in her head is the actual story of Miss Honey's parents. Sorry, spoiler. Um, it's a very, it's a very strange addition, but at some points, Matilda is like fantasizing herself into the place of Miss Honey as a child and fantasizing about being comforted by Miss Honey's father. Mm -hmm. And so there's a very strange, like subbing the white child in for the black child, which visually uh, is, is quite, is quite odd Mm -hmm. in the sense of like, the, the connotations of like white women appropriating black women's stories mm-hmm. and the sort of like history of the appropriation of like the history of, for example, black women having to care for white women's children instead mm-hmm. of being able to care for their own children. Like there's these histories there that it feels like the film is like not capable of addressing or maybe not even considering Mm -hmm. and i say all of this in part to say that like fatness is certainly not the only stumbling block Mm -hmm. of these Mm -hmm. attempted resurrections of these stories or or recasting of these stories but what stands out to me is how little any of the fat phobic storylines change Mm -hmm. like how committed these productions remain to the basic premises of like fat people are stupid, lazy, pitiable, morally corrupt, morally corrupt, ugly people are bad. Yeah. And pretty people are good. Mm-hmm. You become like that your physical body represents your moral character in a transparent way. So to say like, oh, well, Miss Honey's black now. Yeah, she is a she is an extremely beautiful black woman who is thin, femme. So so there is this this kind of 
attempt to recognize beauty and diversity while a continued commitment to the idea that like there is such thing as ugliness that like some people are ugly and that if people are ugly it's because they're bad Mm -hmm. like and that that basic premise is like such a fucking nightmare (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's so fat phobic, it's so ableist, it's fundamentally racist, like it's white supremacist, it's it's all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And like I've really been noticing like we had some movement on conversations around fatness in the past decade or so. Mm-hmm. And I think that movement has reversed in quite significant ways in recent mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And I think in part, it's also tied to a new generation of weight loss drugs, mm. right? Like the rise of Ozempic, for example, mm-hmm. which is incredibly dangerous, has not been studied in the long term for its actual health impacts, you know, is having like, we don't know what it's going to do to people. What we do know is that for its, its weight loss purposes, it's like double the rec- recommended clinical dose for blood sugar management and the second you stop taking it you'll gain all the weight back and we have no long-term studies to see what it will do to you if you take it forever um but we don't care because we hate fat people so much and so like it's fine if it might kill you because it's actually probably better if you die better to be thin than to be fat better yeah. to be thin and if you can't be thin better to be dead yeah 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 and that for me like underpins these like the whale, the fat, the fat suits, like even the little, what's his name? The little kid who eats all the cake and in Matilda. I can't remember his name. I have no idea. I haven't seen Matilda in like 20 years. Yeah. The kid who like they, they, they make eat the whole cake. That kid's also wearing a fat suit. So yeah, it's, um, that's my take on fat phobia. Yeah. Um, the, the, the only thing the only thing I want to add is that to me, these things stand out as being really conspicuous in these efforts to repurpose Roald Dahl's text for this, you know, new and better, new and better world that we all <laughs> live in. Um, that that things that things like the like with Wonka, like the fat suit was incredibly conspicuous and really and really felt to me at least very i don't know how to phrase this i want to say out of place but it's not it's not out of place in the roll doll universe but it felt very out of place in the sense of like oh are we worse i i it's the worst my still bad doing i thought that, we weren't right i thought we weren't doing this anymore but i guess because like i think those of us who move in these like queer leftist circles who like are in community with other people who are also like actively fighting for collective liberation. Mm-hmm. Fat phobia is one of the things we are fighting and we understand yeah. it to be like wrapped up with anti-blackness and ableism and like the eugenicist logics of white supremacy. Like we understand how these things entangle. Mm-hmm. And so I think it feels kind of disconcerting to watch something that you know in some sense is trying to pander to you. 
mm-hmm. right? That's being mm-hmm. like, look at the cute gay twink, look at the diverse <laughs> casting, look at the like, yeah. look at all of the things that we are doing for you, for you, the the now movie going <laughs> audience, right? Like millennials are yeah. woke, so we'll make a woke woke doll movie woke-a. for you millennials. It's woke. Woke-a. It's woke. <laughs> yeah. And then we and then we go watch them and we're like, sorry, what? Yeah, it's it's weird and I don't like it. It's weird. <laughs> That's my hot take. <laughs> oh man. That, Marcel's, that could it, really be the conclusion of so many of our takes. You know what? It's weird. And I don't like, I don't it. like it. My hard hitting criticism right there. I got a PhD, people. Oh it's weird. I don't like it. Weird? I don't like it. Marcel, most of these questions are about Twilight. I'm really sorry, but I am going to ask you uh, this question from Marika, who wants to know about your favorite YA novel or series that you wish more folks knew about. Um, so I, I, I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to answer this question because I am often unclear how popular a thing that I have enjoyed is. <laughs> oh, I love that about you. In like, in like you're, every, uh, you're in, you're involuntarily extremely offline. Yeah. Yeah. And as a result, yeah. you, sometimes you just don't know how famous things are. And mm-hmm. I think it's great. It's a little embarrassing. So for example, our episode about the night circus in the, in the process leading up to it, I was like, why do you guys want me to talk about this book? And everybody's like, it's really popular. It was really zeitgeisty. I was like, I've never heard of it until I read it. Um, but then a weird little niche book that I love. Yeah. Just a weird little random book that I happened to find. Uh, but then by contrast, I had sort of was under the assumption that the, uh, a marvelous light um, trilogy was extremely mm. popular and very famous mm. uh, and very well known. No. <laughs> it turns out, it turns out that it's just, not. <laughs> just the I case. told the local queer bookstore about it, um, which you know, delightful. Love, love to do my part. Everybody, in... <laughs> read a marvelous light. Um, read the whole series. Uh, they're great. They are. They're Gay, so historical. So romance, so sexy, fantasy, mm-hmm. explicit gay sex, very, very, really so like, explicit gay sex. I would say not for under sixteen. I mean, you it's know what? Not a YA series. No, no, no. This is not my answer. <laughs> to be adult. clear, this is me talking. <laughs> um, I but if you wanted to give it to a if you wanted to give it as a gift, I would just encourage you to make sure the person you're giving it to is like over the age of consent. <laughs> Uh, but if you're under the age of consent, like you get it, go on, get it yourself, kiddo. I don't. Yeah, I'm not if you police 16, what you read, <laughs> you can read about dicks as much as you want. But I'm not going to give you a book about dicks unless it's a very educational, our bodies ourselves esque. Yeah, volume. Yeah. I'll tell you about it, and I'll tell you that it's good. <laughs> but you get it yourself. Uh, um, a friend of mine who's a high school teacher recommended. Um, <laughs> The, uh, never gonna answer this question. The one never gonna answer this question. <laughs> um, recommended the YA trilogy that's like based on Harry Potter fanfic by Rainbow Rowell. Carry on, um, carry on, and any way the wind blows, and whatever the third one is. Third one might be any way the wind blows. Who the fuck knows? Anyway, 
she recommended this trilogy to a student of hers having only read the first two the third one had just come out and she hadn't read it yet and then she read the third one and there's explicit sex in the third one and she was like "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh oops Uh (laughs) uh-oh <laughs> Ooh, awkward. So, uh, so the answer. Anyway, that's not my recommendation because Rainbow Rowell was very famous and everybody has read those books. <laughs> um, so what I would suggest, I have, I have a, I have a, a handful. I have a, a, a couple, a couple books that I truly do love. Uh, one YA series that I have talked about on the podcast before is the Aristotle and Dante series, um, which is so lovely. Um, no explicit gay sex, but there is implicit gay sex. And you know what? Mm. What more? What more could you want in a in a in a in a YA series? In a YA series. Yeah. And then another one that I'm a big fan of is uh, a book called. And again, this might be very famous. Maybe you've all heard of it. I apologize in advance. Uh, in other lands, um, which is oh, I have that, but I haven't read it. It's so good. I'm trying to read the name of the author from here. And I, I, it's a white book with a blue mermaid on it. Does yeah. that help? Yeah, I mean, I can see it. I just can't. It's too far away for me to see the the Sarah Reese Brennan. Thank you. So, in You're other welcome. lands by Sarah Reese Brennan, the main character's name is Elliot, and um, this Elliot who uses he/him pronouns is um, starts off very, very annoying. Like. Like a like he's a lot, and but the thing is that he knows he's a lot. But he's, the book spans like multiple years. That's right. right. Yeah. So yeah. so it covers all seven years of his magical education instead of say one book per year. It's very very clearly in the Harry Potter in the post Harry Potter like fandom world. Yeah. But is also like explicitly more politically aware than mm, Harry Potter, yeah. and often deliberately. So anyway, it's his his arc is as he like comes to learn how to trust others because he's such a such a wee broken lad is really really nice and he's bisexual and like comes to realize that about himself over the course of the book and it's just really we love we love bisexual representation we love it we do love bisexual representation Mm -hmm. man that's Um, my answer (laughs) i'm gonna also briefly recommend a series that uh one is technically not YA, and two, probably a lot of you have already read it. So it's, it's a useless recommendation, um, <laughs> but I'm going to recommend Naomi Novik's Scholomance trilogy. Oh, I read um, the first one. Yes, yes. It which is, is, it is a famous. really, like, so good. Um, fa- I mean, nowhere near as famous as Twilight, say, but um, but should be. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And very intertextually engaged with Harry Potter as well. So if you are a sort of recovered Harry Potter fan, as we are, a lot of the sort of pleasures of like pretty clear critique of the premises of that world building and a sort of fantasy world building that is deeply engaged with imperialism and uh, class and generational wealth accumulation and power and that uses magic as a like really smart metaphor for how power operates, um, which is like my favorite thing that fantasy mm-hmm. novels do. And I think, you know, it's not YA because it's it's quite violent, I suspect, but the protagonists are all teens. So in that sense, it's <laughs> YA. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, not actually YA, but I don't. 
Marcel. What? I don't read YA. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I I actually don't tell anybody. I just don't, don't like it very much. Don't like tell anybody on this public version, on this don't public part of the yeah. Okay, I won't. I'll keep. I feel your, about YA. Your secret is safe with me, Hannah. Thanks. The way that I feel about YA is that I will fight to the death for people's right to read read and enjoy and critically <laughs> engage with it. Yeah. It's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. For the most part, I just don't really care about the internal lives of teens. I mean So I don't I, like Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I I mean, I would I would have thought that's why you do like you do it, because they you know, they die. They make a lot of bad choices and then they die. <laughs> I don't want them to die. No. <laughs> Hannah's no, take on teens. Hope they die. Hope they, no, 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 no. Sorry, that's that's my mistake. That's my mistake. I I phrased that I phrased that very poorly. <laughs> Woo! Next Ooh. question. Okay, uh, I have a question that I absolutely cannot answer, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to you, Hannah. This comes from Kaylee, who asks uh, about. Your thoughts on the portrayal of Indigenous peoples in Twilight. Specifically, why does Stephanie Meyer hate Leah so much? And I don't know who Leah is. So <laughs> Leah's this is a question the one you. woman, the one female werewolf. There's one female werewolf. Oh, okay. Well, that's my I should have paid but more like, attention then. Really downplayed. Like really, really downplayed in the movies. I think most of what we get of Leah comes in the later books, and I've only read the first book. But I will say um, a couple of things. One is that Stephanie Meyer's use of indigeneity in the series is like deeply disengaged from any serious attempt to think about indigenous people as people. Mm. And is mm. very, very much in the tradition of the sort of J.K. Rowling magic in North America conflation of indigenous mm -hmm. people with fantasy tropes. Right. And so indigenous people are present exclusively to introduce the werewolves and to like introduce this sort of like other kind of magical presence other than the vampires and like the conflict between the werewolves and the vampires and to represent like you know if the vampires are associated with this kind of like old world gentility you know they're associated with like european culture mm. right mm -hmm. like what they eventually find out about the voltari and they're all european and they have to like go to europe to like confront them whereas like werewolfism is like the indigenous American mm. virile earth-based animalistic right like it's it's very clearly mm -hmm. a set of tropes mm -hmm. into which indigeneity fits mm -hmm. and is being used exclusively in that sense and as we understand from the you know decades and decades of work by indigenous scholars the reduction of indigenous culture to a set of fantasy tropes is part and parcel with the cultural genocide that north america continues to be invested in a kind of eternal placement of 
indigenous people in the past Mm -hmm. and or in the realm of fantasy and or in the realm of animality or savagery, which denies the sort of modernity and co-presence of actual living indigenous people and actual functioning indigenous nations. And so uh, what I'm saying is that it's racist, but you already knew that. And I will say like the particular vilification of Leah is about like the narrative function that she plays, right? Like I think Leah could be put into the same category as say like a tiger lily Ugh, figure from Peter Pan, which is mm-hmm. yeah, which is to say that like setting up an indigenous woman as an enemy or um, a point of competition for a white woman. Again, it's just a, it's just an old racist trope. Yeah. And I think a lot of white writers just use old racist tropes without any of the education or history to understand why mm-hmm. those tropes fucking suck. Mm-hmm. Which is why it is like really important, particularly for people who want to write, mm-hmm. to be reading diversely, to be like reading outside authors who have their same histories mm-hmm. and their same backgrounds and their same life experiences yeah. because if you're only reading stuff by other people who are like you then you are also going to uncritically reproduce these tropes um the end yeah it's it's certainly it is certainly not impossible for white people to write about non-white people in a way that is respectful and thoughtful and and it educated oh, yeah. you write, and you write them as actual human fucking characters like, yeah i think that there is often a misunderstanding for to this is me being very generous i think that white writers often mistake inclusion for inclusivity um and that's that is not that is not how it works. It's like, oh, well, I have indigenous characters. I'm there. I'm including them in in this world. And that is true, but it doesn't do the work of inclusion if you include them as magical people, magical tropes, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And that the false binary that is set up sort of, I don't know, by bad actors between like either I as a writer should have like absolute carte blanche to Mm. do anything Mm -hmm. with anyone with no consequences or I'm being silenced and if you say like if I a white man write an entire book from the point of view of a black woman and then readers are like this fucking sucks dude Mm -hmm. then like you are saying that white people can only write books that are entirely about white people and there can't be a single person of color in them anywhere, which is, you know, like the history of a lot of white literature. Yeah. And that binary is, again, like a fundamentally white supremacist binary mm-hmm. and can be rejected in favor of the idea of writing good characters. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Woo. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, I think we got time for one more. Oh, goody. And I'm going to ask you, Marcel, about <laughs> uh, queer slippages. Are you Ooh. ready to talk about queer slippages? <laughs> sounds Sounds wet. Sounds gay. Um, How do we balance, to use some which please language, queer slippages and possibilities of the text with the way the overarching narrative maintains power structures? I'm thinking of how a surface reading of Twilight upholds being a girl desired by boys slash men as the fantasy and most important experience. How many folks actually experience the more subversive readings or decode compared to the folks who experience the reading that maintains power, the encoded message. This is... The big, big Q. Yeah, this Sorry, is... Sorry, the... and that was from... Addie. 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 Thanks, Addie. Addie. Oh, this is Addie Marion's former Witch Please guest. Yeah. Hi, Addie. Okay, this is... This is a, a rich and complex question... And I am not going to be able to, so so part of the question I think is more rhetorical, the part where it's like, how many folks actually experience? I don't think Addie is looking for a numerical answer a or a Probably percentage, not. right? Yeah. Um, I think that's that's sort of rhetorical. So I think that the popularity of books like Twilight, books like the Harry Potter series, books like what else is hot that young people read i have no idea hunger games hunger games hunger games great 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 Aunt hannah you're on it i think that the popularity of these books tells us that there are a lot of people reading resistantly or reading I, i'm going to call it reading resistantly we've talked about this on the on on one of our podcasts before presumably maybe not material girls yet but where you you as the reader refuse the hegemonic impositions of the text and instead choose to read for those gaps, for those spaces where you can kind of find yourself or find the things that um, resonate with you. And I think it would be really, really cool if more popular literature just did that overtly and didn't force readers to like <laughs> to like squeeze themselves in between the lines but okay wait let me let me go back to your actual question so so you want to know how to balance the queer slippages yeah and like are we giving popular texts too much credit i think uh, is, is part that of the, the question? question okay okay like okay. i think i think in part right yes. saying like <laughs> oh there's all of these queer slip slippages in twilight like here's this radical potential. And then it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, but mm -hmm. it's also this like incredibly heteronormative story right. about a teen girl in a love triangle. And that's mm -hmm. like not a particularly liberatory framework. It's, it, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do, I do think, I do think that we give mainstream 
popular culture too much credit all the time, for sure. Yeah. Um, you and I specifically. You. It's like, like us. Like it's our. Uh, <laughs> the fact the that we world. make this show. Yeah. <laughs> like I think us, and I think it's. I think yeah. it's like, kind of, part of our like utopian imaginary. That we're like, yeah, 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 there's hegemonic texts, but actually, like, look how gay we could make them. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that I don't, I don't think it's a like, I don't think we need to, to stop doing that. Well, we um, won't. So I, I don't think we can, but I do, I do think that one, okay. I really like the fact that we started out by, talking about other YA novels and series. I love that that was a question that somebody submitted in the, like, I, I love that we make space for that conversation and aren't like, well, that's not about Twilight, so we're not going to talk about it. So so I think this, this, is, this is my very sort of roundabout way of saying, this is what I think we need to do when we're talking about mainstream, heteronormative, hegemonic works of pop culture that we love, but that are limiting and oppressive in so many ways. And we have to squeeze ourselves into it while we are feeling that love for the thing and talking about the thing, making space to talk about other things where maybe we don't have to work so hard to see ourselves or, or to be seen by if, if that kind of, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a difference for me you know what? A difference so significant that um, we make two different shows about these different categories. So there's like <laughs> this difference between the things where I like see myself, like actually see a world in which there is like not only space for me to exist, but space for me to thrive. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Like texts like that have this like really um, important place in my heart. Uh, they move me differently and those texts are almost always written by like queer people trans people people of color like people who are also trying to you know imagine the world otherwise and you know reparative reading restorative reading resistant reading are like a really vital part of the critical tool set of historically oppressed people um to say like here's the landscape of popular texts and i'm going to find a way in for myself or my community is going to find a way to like make use of this for other purposes and um and part of the function of that is lies in their popularity that popular culture is a shared cultural text that we collectively use to think with and that is part of what makes it a useful place to talk about Mm. like queer slippages, for Mm -hmm. example, and a way to talk about like queerness and queer desire, maybe with people who like didn't see that in that text, who read it without that experience of um, resistance or exclusion or personal erasure that then causes you to like push against the mm-hmm. surface reading of a text mm-hmm. but like i can bring my reading to you and you know the te- the same text and so we can use it to talk about together yeah and yeah. that's i think part of why we like talking about pop culture is that mm-hmm. like it's a thing that we can use to talk about ideas together 
You know what else I love? What? I love taking away power from a shitty author. I really, like, I really, really, I really love perverting characters that the author insists are straight and saying, no, they're not. The text that you wrote makes space for that. I have textual evidence to support this reading. And I'm, I am, I am blowing it up in Mm -hmm. fan art in fanfic in like i don't know whatever the third thing is between fan art and fanfic i don't know what it is <laughs> cosplay cosplay sure yeah i don't think it's between but it's a third thing i, I yeah i don't mean it as a spectrum <laughs> <laughs> um yeah there is something very satisfying to me about about that especially when that when that process doesn't you know give give the author more money like like i love the idea of trans people reading harry potter characters as trans canonically and refusing jk rowling's transphobia and being like well you wrote these characters who are literally like in the text trans literally trans yeah that's on you bitch (laughs) (laughs) oh that is on you Mm. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, Marcel. There are some more exciting questions here, um, such as a request for an update on how our kitties are doing. Oh, but I think mm-hmm. that we're gonna save that for part two. All right, that sounds great. If you want to hear part two, you can just you can just walk on down with your. I know this is an audio medium, but I'm doing it's an the audio little, medium, and you're doing little finger legs. Doing little finger legs, little just finger legs. Just walk on down to Patreon.com/slash Oh Witch Please and uh, sign yourself up for for a little tear. A little tear is a treat. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, and get access to I, all kinds of good stuff. We've all had a little cry as a treat, so why not try a little tear as a treat? <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Okay. Thanks to the team behind Witch Please Productions and follow us on things that are Witch Please. Okay, bye. Do we do that? I don't know. I don't know. I never remember what we do. Nope. No, nobody here knows. Bye. Oh.